0: To Equocity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of *The Click That Teaches*, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. So, Dominique, last time we were talking about emotions and we were talking about contingencies and we were talking about constructional training and so on and the constructional training has been something that's really been buzzing around in my head recently and particularly as it relates to the pathological model because somebody was asking me the other day I was I was talking about that we want that we want to be constructional trainers and he said, well, how is that different from just good clicker training? You know, how is that from just shaping? How is that different? How is that something other? And part of my answer was, well, it's, it's not. You know, a good clicker trainer, good shaper is constructional. That, and that means that we're looking at what we want the animal to do and that we, we are focused on teaching mm. what we want and we break that teaching down into small uh, steps. We look at the component p- behaviors, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so you could say, oh, yes, well, I'm constructional. Of course, I'm constructional. But unless you have the example, non-example, the question is, are you really? Mm-hmm. So it's like Joe Lang, who we, you know, we talked about Joe's article last week with the emotions. Well, Joe also shared that the example, non-example, that to really understand something, it's not sufficient to have uh, an example of it. You need a non-example. You're living in a house. Well, how do you know it's a house and not an office building? Unless you've seen houses and office buildings, you don't know mm-hmm. that maybe you're living in an office building. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty clear you're living in a house because, you know, it has bedrooms and it has you know all these other features that an office building would not have. So, so you can tell that you're living in a house, and you're living in a house and not a duplex. You know, so, so you have example, non-example. So the constructional training, what's the example, non-example? And the non-example would be the pathological model. And the pathological model looks at the problems. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want my horse, my dog barking. Mm-hmm. Why do always I always find it easier to think of these things in terms of dog. You find
1: no faults with horses?
0: Of course not. <laughs> of course not. Maybe that's it. So you know I don't want my dog barking. And so there's a problem that you're trying to fix. Mm-hmm. And that that's the mindset from which you are embarking on your training protocols. Now there are lots of ways that, that you could stop your dog from. Barking, and some of them might include using um, positive reinforcement procedures. Yeah.
1: But, but it's think- still suppressing a problem. Yeah, you're using think- you're using positive reinforcement, but originally you're trying to suppress something you don't like. Don't want yeah. my dog to pull on the leash. Don't want my dog to bark. So I'm going to use positive reinforcement to tackle the problem.
0: Yeah, and we we often need to start by looking at what we don't want, because that's example, non-example. You know, I, you watch somebody who's struggling with a horse who's crowding in on top of them, who drags them to grass, who uh, rushes through doorways, which can be hazardous who dances around at the mounting block, etc 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 and you look at that and you think, I don't want that. <laughs> you know that doesn't look like fun. So I'm getting a new horse and what is it that I would like my horse to do? So what I would like my horse to do is to stop with me whenever we get to a doorway. okay? Let me teach that. What would what would I need? What skills would I need to have as a handler? What components would I need to teach my horse so that I can teach my horse that when we get to a doorway that we stop together? So at what point have we crossed into a constructional mindset? Mm -hmm. And we are truly looking at what is the relationship? What is the uh, connection? what is it that I would like to to teach and to build through my training? Not what is it that I want to stop Mm -hmm. and suppress, Mm -hmm. but truly what I want to build. And I think one of the things that was really interesting and exciting when we were both at science camp and Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz and and Mary Hunter and Michaela Hempen, they're presenting on the protocols that they're developing And the one in particular that was so very powerful was this horse who had a high degree of separation anxiety. Mm -hmm. When you took him away from his pasture mates and he was at a horse rescue and they wanted this horse to have more food because he was really down in weight. So they would bring him away from the rest of the herd into the barn to give him more food and he would spend the time screaming and spinning and weaving and screaming and getting a bite of food and weaving and screaming and pacing and and probably using up a lot more energy in all of that than he was consuming. And he was already lame and the weaving back and forth was making him lamer and it was horrific. So they changed the, the environment. They changed the conditions. They focused on teaching a calm behavior and while they were teaching while all of uh in the new conditions in the new environment if you put them back in the old conditions you would get the old behavior Mm -hmm. it still existed they hadn't eliminated it they hadn't suppressed it they hadn't stopped it but under these new conditions you had a horse that could come into the stall and calmly eat his grain and hang out in the stall. And even when the door was open so he could walk back out to his friends, he hung about in the entrance to the stall and wandered out into the barnyard and then moseyed on out to the rest of his friends. Which is pretty remarkable. And I think there's, I think it's important to really look at and consider the constructional versus the pathological approach because in the pathological there is still that you know I want something to stop i want it to go away yeah i want i want to suppress something i'm looking at what i don't like mm-hmm. and you know i try not i try to to walk that fine line between you know we're talking about horses and horse training and then there's the world at large. Last week was, you know, every week in the news, it's tough. Uh, and, you know, there's there's always something, some new horror that has happened in the news. And last week uh, in the United States, there were several more of these terrible gun violence, the deaths both attributed to police killing young black Americans. And then there were was... Um, another of these mass shootings and everyone seems to be looking at this from such a pathological Mm. perspective instead of looking at the constructional approach of what is it that we want Mm. you know and as long as we're looking at this from a pathological approach we're band-aiding and we'll never solve the problem right So what struck me as important in this is that those of us who work with animals, that we have an enormous role to play in moving forward to create the change we want to see. Because there's that expression uh, that I learned years and years ago from uh, Linda Tellington Jones, aggression comes from a place of fear. And... It's always seemed to me that horses with the clicker training have a really important role and part to play in the ripple effect back into how we treat one another. Mm-hmm. Because for the most part, yes, there are aggressive dogs or dogs under certain conditions who exhibit aggressive behavior well, we're, we yeah,
1: Liz, it's good. Yes. Now we do that yeah. now. Yeah. Really good. Yeah.
0: We, yeah. So, but yes, yeah, so there are times when a dog is presenting behavior that is very frightening yeah. to us, mm-hmm. that, that, that uh, is legitimately, oh, this dog could really hurt us. But for the most part, most of us and, and most people who have dogs are not afraid of their dogs. And they may be afraid for them. You know, the dog is going to run out into the street and get hit by a car kind of thing. But they're not, for the most part, you're not afraid of your family pet. You're not afraid of your dog. But with horses, I think it's different. I mean, that they are so big Mm -hmm. that there are times when people, when the behavior that horses present, people are much more, afraid of them, Mm -hmm. and that so many of the training choices and attitudes towards horses have grown out of suppressing the behavior that we would deem dangerous. Mm -hmm. And what clicker training has done is that we are working with an animal that, that can be very dangerous to be around and to be in close contact with. And yet, through positive reinforcement, through kindness, we are developing a relationship and a connection where we can be very comfortable with one another. Mm-hmm. That the horses do not need to be afraid of what we are going to do, mm-hmm. and we are do not have to be afraid of what they are going to do. And we're, so we are learning skills, we are learning, ways of thinking about behavior we're learning ways of thinking about our emotions we're learning we're learning so much through our horses that they are such phenomenal teachers that it's a huge gift that they're giving us and it's worth thinking about every now and then of what is it that we are learning as we work with our horses that we can ripple back into our lives, uh, you know, our interactions with other people, into uh, the influence that we have within our families, within our workspace, within our communities. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to.
1: Be the change you want to see. Yeah. And that has ripple yeah. effect. Yeah, sometimes it takes um, a little bit of, um, how would you say in English? you know, because there's so many set ways in the horse world and sometimes you need to have some conviction to follow your own path and not yes. be influenced by comments around you of people who don't understand, who who still believe in a lot of myth, that are out there so sometimes it takes um, you know conviction and after a while i think it just becomes more second nature um and the more you i think the more you stay not stay away but the more you try to distance yourself from the pathological way of thinking the more it will become second nature it will become more natural not to want to suppress something but to want to teach and build something else instead i mean you'll no. you'll acknowledge cuz very often the problem is what motivates people to to even Absolutely. come to, to, to positive reinforcement because they've tried suppressing the problem with more traditional ways and they've created other problems or the problem have gotten bigger or they've created all this emotionality in their horse that they're now really afraid of. And so very often it's, it's motivation that will bring people. Yep. Um, yep. But you have a situation you
0: don't like you want it to change. Yeah.
1: Because when, when things are going smoothly, you know, I mean, for me, it's still very motivating because you see the progress, you know. Right. And this this soft, um, non-conflictual progress for me is the biggest motivation of all. But for sure, when you have an urgent problem, it is also motivation. Um, yes. So very often that's what brings people to positive reinforcement. And when there is that problem.
0: What we are learning is to be much better at really ask looking at what is the uh, the motivation, what you know, what is the consequence that that animal is looking wants, and what are the antecedent arrangements that we can manipulate. So your dog is is jumping up on your visitor not to get. A, cookie but to get attention mm-hmm. so how do we satisfy that need for attention and your dog is afraid and would like distance from this other dog so perhaps giving it distance is what you should be doing in this moment not trying to feed it cookies yeah. uh, so we're, we're learning a lot about that we're getting clearer at that and so we're becoming good problem solvers effective problem solvers but I think we really, it's then, okay, I've created some breathing room. It's a bit like um, what they used when you're talking about punishment, that punishment suppresses the unwanted behavior. Mm-hmm. It doesn't teach the animal what to do, mm-hmm. but it stops it in that moment. Mm-hmm. And and so it creates this bit of breathing room in which you can then in start to insert what it is that you would like the animal to do. Well, Look, starting with a problem is, in a sense, it's like that. It, it, it's saying, my, my animal is presenting me with a behavior I don't want. And it's so in my face that it's, you know, it's all-consuming. So what I need to do is to create some breathing room. And so maybe by addressing, beginning with uh, something that addresses that problem and reduces it mm. in intensity... Now there's the breathing room to say, okay, let's look at what you'd really like to construct.
1: But if if you're coming from the pathological, you will most likely create that breathing room, try to create that breathing room with punishment, whereas for me, the go-to would be making changes through antecedent changes you know yeah
0: i'm not i don't know that that
1: so let's take a real example
0: well you know m- your dog barks yeah. if you're you know if you're familiar with modern training you you might not start out by getting a what is it the citronella collar mm. you might start out by making some antecedent arrangements and so on and changes in the in the environment you might start out using Susan Friedman's least intrusive most effective you might be starting out at that lower end of what is the most- Well, let's
1: say you wouldn't leave the dog alone in the uh, backyard. Yeah. That would be an antecedent change. Right. Instead of putting him in the backyard with the citronella color, which doesn't teach him anything.
0: But it's still, how can we, it's that shift to what is it that I would like to teach? So if I had a completely clean slate- Mm -hmm new dog what is it that i would that i would really love to be teaching and where do i begin in that process of creating this wonderful relationship that would make me smile and i think that there is a very real difference and it takes you in slightly different directions when you are approaching something from the constructional perspective versus the let me fix a problem perspective.
1: Yeah, and in the horse world, a lot of the let me fix something uh, will start by you should teach your horse to respect you. This is a disrespectful horse. I mean, that word in the horse world, we talked about it a few times on the podcast, but I think that it's very much a pathological approach. When yes. the word when the word respect comes up for me is always a big red flag. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when you hear that word, that's when you should ask, what do you want your horse to do? Because that's right. disrespectful horse, you know, it's just something wrong inside the horse. <laughs> yes.
0: And what what does respect look like to you? Mm. Well, my horse would back up readily and easily when I move towards it well Robin certainly does that because he's learned the cues and responds to them promptly, and they were taught with positive reinforcement in a way that he's more than happy uh, to back up well to a whisper yeah so it's it's a it's a mindset and a way of framing things that I think is really important and it just seemed to me as I was listening to the news last week, and it would be interesting now for people after you listen to this podcast, listen to the week's news. And is it coming from a pathological perspective and mindset of this is broken? We need to fix it? Or is it coming from are people are people proposing Constructional approaches. You now, what are the constructional approaches that will move us?
1: We're certainly going right now with the all the uh, sanitary measures. I mean, where we're at here, anyway, in Quebec, is that you know they. The only thing left now is more. Police reinforcement of the measures, you know, meaning more punishment for people who don't respect the measures.
0: Yeah, you're talking now about the virus and
1: Quebec is in a lockdown. Yeah, and so now everybody knows what they're supposed to do, and so the thing now is to just make sure they respect the measures through fines and police coercion, you know, and and people calling on their neighbors and saying there are three cars in front of the house. And that's, you know, people wow. don't know what to do anymore. So yeah. that's what they do, wow. punish the ones that don't follow the rules. So I don't know how you can make a constructional approach. And, and people will say, and you'll hear that when the training too, in the animal training is, well, look, I mean, people are dying, you know, so it's serious stuff. You hear that too in animal training, you know, you'll hear, well, look, this dog, he can kill a a child. So now we really have to punish. And, you know, in in that least intrusive intervention pyramid that Susan uh, recommends to us, she doesn't say that punishment is always out of the question. But certainly she says we should go through all the other phases before we get there. And usually, if you do, you don't need to get there. That's right. That's right.
0: And that somebody comes along and says, well, you know, we've tried all these other things to solve this, uh, you know, you've got a problem with your child. And we know that in the past with other children, these least intrusive methods, they, they don't work. And Susan would say, you know, it's a study of one, that's right. so it's my child, and you're going to begin with, uh, you know, the least intrusive.
1: Yeah, and then you know, how yeah. skillful is the trainer? How knowledgeable is the yeah. trainer? Because you know, usually you—that's where you go when you don't know better. Right.
0: And my challenge would be this: that we could say, "Well, I, you know, I can't, I can't imagine a different way of framing what's going on today." in uh you know pick pick a news headline uh whatever it is climate change whatever it is i i i can't i can't imagine a different way of framing it and that of course is our challenge because there's
1: always yeah. Well here we're talking about disarming the police to have better relationship with the citizens and of course you know people are freaking out because yeah. You know, wow, OK, now you have a police without a gun. He's very unprotected. Is this re- viable or not? And there are. I know that because we're talking about this in Montreal, and I know they're saying that there has been some uh, successful trials of this in certain European cities, but I don't know which one. Right, right. But it's hard to imagine in the beginning you know so when they say well, well it has been tried and it's being successful somewhere else you go oh okay it's possible then
0: yeah because when you think about where we were 20 years ago when 20 plus years ago when i was first exploring clicker trip mm. all those things that you were just saying well it's a dangerous horse mm. he could hurt somebody mm. so we really need to use this uh these forceful methods because it, this other is not going to work and this horse could this horse could kill you so i need to get out my and i you know i watched this at the equine affair one year one of the clinicians got out a bullwhip and was cracking it around the horse's head and around the horse's body and every time that she cracked this whip you could see the horse's you know that and up tied up in knots you mm-hmm. could just see his, his his belly just getting so tight and contracted and and she said well you know this horse is um spooky and and to be safe for its handler this is what i need to do and i just that's right. I, I was horrified because but but if we if we haven't you know those things we we can say those things and we've said them in the past But now we know, because we've explored it, that there are alternatives, that you you don't have to get out the bullwhip or the big guns, that there are other constructional approaches Mm -hmm. that work with horses that 20 years ago, we might not have been able to imagine. But because we've been exploring this world of clicker training and positive reinforcement, we... We are, we are discovering alternatives. And I think that's the hopeful piece yeah. to put out there. We don't have to know the answers. We just have to know that if we keep asking questions and exploring and really looking at our mind, you know, how are we framing this? Hmm. How are we framing this? Are we framing it from that pathological framework OK, fair enough. It's what we have now. But what if we found a constructional way of viewing this situation? Where would that take us? How would that change things? Yeah, And that's really what I want to throw out there. Yeah. How would it change? Can we even imagine what a constructional approach would be given you fill in the blank for the situation that you'd like to contemplate? whether it's with a horse, a dog, a person,
1: a community, whatever. Yep. You know, I think there's a lot of time spent on developing justifying language that could be better spent doing what you just said, you know, reframing, finding other ways, because there's been a lot of pretty language justifying horrible things. Yes. You know, people have become quite good at describing horrible things with nice words that seem to be okay yeah, Yeah. with dogs, with horses. And you know what? Not just for the animal, even for the human doing the training, there's so much more joy in doing what you just said than doing something that you know is not, doing something violent or abusive and sugarcoating it with these words you still don't feel good when you go to bed at night. But the no. constructional approach it brings a lot of joy. And, you know, um, it's funny because the other day I was listening to a presentation. I'm not going to name any names, but um, there were some trainers that obviously had a lot of clients still in the traditional world, um, and some trainers who were immersed in positive reinforcement community. and you could see the difference in the joy of the trainer. Yeah. because when you're faced with violence all the time, even if you don't use it, um, and you're trying to teach other people not to use it, it's hard. It's hard on you. Whereas when when you when you're in this, you know, when you're surrounded by positive reinforcement trainers, animals, people who have been doing this for a long time and are really in the constructional approach, man, there's a lot of joy in that. It's fun, yes. it's fun. Yeah. And it's, it's. I mean, you you go in the barn and all your interactions with your horses are soft and full of complicity. I don't know if that's a word in English. Like, no, maybe you use this like for thieves, complicity. But full of um, compliant uh, connection. Yeah, connection like this, you know, this intimate understanding of each other, this softness yeah. between each other. And there's no irritation, no need for not even announce ounce of force. You know, when you look at other trainers, they're nice trainers, but you're, you're thinking, why is she so abrupt with a horse? You know, you, you, Why is she pushing like this? You know, you just, you could put just your little finger and just suggest something and it will work. You don't need to push like, you know. So anyway, I think there's a lot of joy in that. And so for the human part of the equation, too. There's a difference between
0: asking and demanding. And the question is, are you going through life asking? or are you going through life demanding. But you can you can be one of those people who goes through life asking and never filling your own space so that you're you know afraid to ask for anything because you don't feel as though you're worthy of filling space. And that's no good. Yeah, yeah, okay. So that's that's different again. That's mm. not what we're talking about. No. But that you can ask for for things and not demand demand that they happen
1: you know i think joy is a good guide yeah it's a good guide i know in my life i always feel that if i'm on a joyful path i'm on the right path if it's not joyful i should reconsider no matter what sphere of my life i think joy is really good guide and so with my horses too and frankly a hundred percent of my time with my horses right now is joyful Wow. So, you know, whatever the goals are, whatever you want to do, I think if you can say something like that, it's a pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. And it's, you know, why would it be anything other? Because the, the, the conversations, because they are conversations.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, for me, it feels like, I should always feel like whistling, whistling, that whistling. Yep, whistling. When I'm yep. in the barn. Otherwise, hmm, I should go and have that cup of tea. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Exactly right. Well, I think we've given people something to mull over again, uh, and so we'll we'll let them mull over. You know, in your in your life, do you gravitate more towards constructional thinking and a constructional mindset, or are you still mired down in the pathological view of the world where you are running around trying to put out fires and being a problem solver? You may be a really good problem solver and the world needs, you know, there, there's a need for problem solvers. So it's not that we want to eliminate all problem solvers. Uh, there's a need for problem solvers. But where in this whole mix are you and where in the process as you're learning about positive reinforcement training, where do you find yourself? Because I know there, there are times where I would say I'm being very good in and, and I'm, I'm truly being a constructional trainer. And then I'll look at what I'm doing in another instance and I'll say, oh, are you ever in
1: an old rut? Right, right. You know. Yeah, because sometimes the horses will show you something you didn't expect. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you stop whistling, and you have to go have that cup yeah. of tea because yeah. Yeah. something life happens, you know.
0: Yeah. Or you're, you know, you're you're doing things that because you, you know, this is how it's done, and how, you know, this is the approach that you would take. It's a bit like a couple podcasts back when we were talking with Kyle Hetzel, who's the zookeeper, and I said, "Okay, Kyle, let's give you a challenge. <laughs> uh, how would you go about solving this particular uh, situation?" And I loved his response because it was a little bit—he wasn't thinking inside the box. He was bringing new, fresh, creative way of looking at how would I teach this to my to a horse, and I think that's so useful and so valuable to have these fresh, new, other perspectives. And all of that helps us to be more constructional and not just fall back on, we'll call it sugar coating, same old, same old, which is is a good thing if what you've been doing, you know, based on, you know, depends on where you are in the whole continuum, but have you gotten stuck there? Where, yes, I'm using positive reinforcement, but I'm really still in that old mindset. I'm still in the command-based mindset. I'm still in a pathological mindset. I just i am not recognizing it. Mm. And it doesn't mean that you are 100%. It just means that for this situation that has come up, that you're reaching for an older way of thinking about this situation.
1: So do you think there's a way that if you are not recognizing it, that you could look for signs from your animal that maybe you are in that approach without being even aware of it that's an interesting question because i'm sure it happens to all of us that sometimes no, we no. think no no i don't go there and then all of a sudden and maybe years go later there. you'll think oh my god i really was and i was not aware
0: yeah but you know i was i was going too directly On taking my horse onto the horse trailer or whatever it was, Mm. instead of taking a more constructional Mm. approach to it. So I don't know. We'll have to collect data around that and see what what turns up. Of what would be a good indicator. Certainly, enthusiasm Mm. is a good indicator, and good clean loops are a good indicator that
1: training is progressing. But could you you could have good clean loops and be in the pathological Approach? Could you? Could. you could. I can't think of yep. an example, but let me see. Um, let's say we we do the the barking thing. So we want to suppress the barking, and so uh, if I'm in the pathological way of thinking, I could. I don't know. I can't come up with the example. <laughs> Yeah, I remember we talked about the leash you know, like, the leash the, pulling ones where right yeah the right. leash pulling yeah where you could reinforce anything that is not leash pulling versus constructing having your dog walk next to your knee. Yeah. And really teaching the dog as if he were at the, liberty.
0: Yeah, teaching the dog all its that all the different components that go into having an animal that really understands how to relate to you, whether he's on a lead, off a lead, and in a variety of different environments, rather than, you know, every time he pulls on the lead, i I hold the lead tight and I stop. and when he puts slack back in the lead, I click and I reinforce him. And, right.
1: And so you haven't so. taught him really what to do. You just stop when he pulls. And so you're not teaching him what you're 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 saying to him, You're taking the reinforcer away because he can't walk if the dog... And
0: part of it is you're starting in the wrong place. So in constructional training, I think one of the great keys is that I want to teach the behavior before I use the behavior. Mm. I think that for me is one of Mm. the key elements. So if I have a horse or a dog that's pulling on the lead, I don't want to try and teach him to walk with slack in the lead next to me in the conditions in which he's pulling on the lead. Mm-hmm. You know, I may I may find myself in that situation because it's a clinic horse. I'm just learning about this horse. He's away from home. There are all kinds of things at play here. And we have found ourselves in a situation where the horse is pulling on the lead. Okay. I'm in that situation, I have to manage it in some way so that we can stay safe and we can get back into conditions in which I can be a good teacher. So in the moment, I'm gonna manage it to the best of my ability in the least intrusive way possible. Okay, fine. So I've collected data. I know that this is something that I need to work on And now I'm gonna take a more constructional approach, which is before I need to use the behavior, I'm gonna teach the behavior. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's like going to the mat. I know when I'm gonna teach the horse to go to the mat, I'm gonna need to ask my horse to go forward a step and back a step until his toe lands on the mat. Great. Well, let me not try to teach that right at the mat where my horse is going, ooh, I don't think I wanna put my foot on the mat. Let me
1: teach going forward a step but you wouldn't have a clean loop there would you? You wouldn't So maybe you know when you have clean loops no but I'm gonna
0: go I'm gonna go away from that mm. and teach so before I want to use mm. can you come forward a step let me go teach my horse let me let me have that conversation so that I can ask my horse to, take a step forward. He knows what I'm asking. He understands what I'm asking. He's willing to do what I'm asking. He's able to do what I'm asking. I consistently get that that answer. I've taught it well. And now I can use it to teach other things.
1: Yeah. It's hard to think of. Uh, I. It's hard. I think clean loops has to be in the constructional approach, I can't think of an example where you would have a clean loop. Because in the in the, it's it's fair game. It's what I call testing
0: the waters. It's fair game to find out what you can and cannot do.
1: But if you cannot do it, then you don't have a clean loop.
0: Right. So so it's fair game to say, let me find out if my horse will uh, step on a mat. So here's a mat. Let me Once. walk my horse up to the mat. Oh look, my horse is. Uh, practically knocking me over to uh, avoid stepping on the mat. Okay, he's not comfortable stepping on unfamiliar surfaces. Let me now design a teaching program. And what are some of the skills that that I'm going to need in order to help my horse understand about unfamiliar surfaces? Fair game. So that's when I'm going to really go... Uh, look at component parts. Look at what do I need to teach, and I'm going to take a very constructional approach to that because I discovered that my horse doesn't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. He's not comfortable doing it, and it's fair game to test the waters to find out where you are. You know, does does this child know how to read? Well, you don't know until you. You know, put a book in front of him and, and say, Can you read this? Okay, you can't read it. Let's go back to the point where we need to in order to teach you how to read. At, at what point are we staying? You know, is, is there a crossover? You know, is there, uh, is there a gray area between the two? Or is it two very separate camps and the never the, the twain shall meet?
1: Yeah, well, also, I guess if when you define a clean loop, you it's not just the behavior, it's the emotionality that you get. So I think clean loops are probably the key component of teaching and constructional is about teaching, not suppressing Mm -hmm. Right. So probably if you're going from clean loop to clean loop, you're in a teaching mode, not in a suppressing mode. Yes.
0: So you may have you may have been inspired initially by a particular challenge, Mm -hmm. by a skill that was missing, by a behavior that was present, such as pulling on the lead. So that may have inspired you initially. But you have shifted in your thinking into the constructional mindset of how can I teach this?
1: And that, that includes all the context, because maybe my child can read very well in his room, but not in front of the class. Maybe my horse will not pull when we're going from a dirt paddock to a dirt paddock. But if we're going from a dirt paddock to a grassy paddock, maybe he will pull. So, the con- you know, you have to add all these conditions as well in your right. loop. Gradually build it. That's part of the teaching. Right. You know, under what conditions do you want? Yeah. And adding more conditions. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like before they would say we would proof a dog. Like the the idea right. was, is he going to make a mistake now that he knows this behavior? If I start adding these distractions... Whereas now you have these protocol where you're adding the distractions from afar, really with low volume, and you're teaching these distractions not in a mindset where you're trying to have the dog make a mistake, right? but where he'll be successful because it's being taught with clean loops.
0: Right. It's just when a loop is clean, you get to move on. how, How could you move on? Uh, you could make the a change in the environment mm-hmm. and meaning you know, a distraction, and at what level of intensity so that your loops are not falling apart.
1: Yeah, and instead of saying we're proofing, now we would say we're generalizing. It's a different yep. word, but it's a different mindset. Yes, yep. I'm not putting it on you to prove to me that you have it right, and I'm trying to make you wrong. I'm I'm building. A generalization, generalization. Uh, yep. skill or, you know, so it's it's different mindset. Yes, it is. It is.
0: So we'll let people mull over what mindset, what frame are they generally in as they're thinking about their training and what they want to teach their animals. And uh, it'll be interesting, you know, as we each think about this through the week, what conclusions, discoveries, ahas, we come to.
1: It's always an interesting thought. So we'll wish people a lot of joy in their training. Yes,
0: yes, absolutely. We will wish them joy. And we won't even ask them how to define it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, have a good week. You too. Bye. Bye.
0: Constructional training. We've only just scratched the surface of this topic. There's so much more to be said and learned. As I'm recording this, I've just finished a virtual clinic on managing energy and emotions. I invited Michaela Hempen to teach it with me. The work she's done with the horse who was the subject for a research study she did on cribbing has taken us even deeper into this subject. I love this process. We have all the pieces. They've been sitting in plain sight. We can assemble the puzzle as it has always been assembled, or we can rearrange our thinking and assemble the puzzle in a new way. Often the individual pieces don't change, but our shift in thinking transforms everything. That's the fun of this work. There's no end to the explorations. And it's also the fun of these Equiocity podcasts. When Dominique and I begin a conversation We never really know where it will take us. I'm looking forward to the next time when we have a new subject to explore. So thank you for listening. Stay safe and have fun with your horses.